chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. And I want to open up with verse 31. It's, uh, it's an awesome passage. It says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I wonder if we could just read that as a church together today. Man, I'm excited about today. I don't know about you. I don't know how you can sit through worship like that and talk about Jesus in that way, talk about being set free, not being a slave to sin anymore, and then not read a verse like this with a lot of passion. So I wonder if we could just as a church, let's stand up. I know, I know we're doing a little bit of Catholic calisthenics today, up and down, up and down, but we're going to, that's okay. I want us to read this together. Let's start in verse 31 if we could. Look at this right here in verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, read this with me now. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then verse 32, just your voices. Now read it. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth free. All right, that was okay. But this time we're going to read it. Just verse 32, as a bunch of people who have actually experienced the, 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 the freeing nature of knowing Jesus Christ, okay? Verse 32, one more time. Come on, church. And you will Come on, church, and the, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of his word. I'm so excited to get to work today. Let's have a word of prayer and let's jump in. God, we truly come before you today humbled that you would grace us with your presence. Truly, Lord, this is your house. We declare it right now. This is your home. This is your house. We are your people. God, you are our father. There is none like you. There is no one above you, beside you. You rule and reign supreme. God, the very molecules that, that hold the fabric of everything we know together is, is, is hosted by you, Lord. You are in control of all things. And God, you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to walk as we walk and breathe the air that you created, Lord. And then to die on the cross, taking our sins with it, executing them in the grave, and Father, we believe that Jesus Christ also rose from the grave to conquer sin and death. We believe that we are filled with your Holy Spirit, who is God living inside of us. And we are your church, your gathered individuals, the body of Christ. And we exalt and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We read from your word, which is absolutely true. Lord, infallible, inerrant, the word of God. God, I pray that you would move in a powerful way in our midst today. It's not a question of if... You will show up. You are here. This is your house. It's a question of whether or not we will show up, Lord. Open hearts, open hands, open mind. Move today. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. amen. Hey, before you sit down, is this safe to do this now? Can you turn and shake somebody's hand? Come on, you can give a high five. You can elbow bump. Do whatever you got to do. If you're at home watching us, give your cat a high five. Give your husband a high five. If you're a kid watching this, go hug your dad. Tell him happy Father's Day. That's all good. That's all good. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you guys today. And we have a lot of work to do, if I'm being honest. So we're just going to jump right in, if that's okay with you guys. Uh, you know that we're a church that worships in spirit and in, and in truth. I want to encourage you to take these truths, write them down, take notes. Come on, let's be a student of the word. I want you to take these notes, take them to your small groups throughout the week. If you're not in one... You're missing out on so many things. We have a lot of people joining us online. You're our family. We're glad you're here. Let's welcome them today. Those of us joining online, glad you're here. Glad you're here. So Jesus, now just to put this into context, we know that context is king. 
Jesus uh, is just coming off kind of a, an interesting week. As you remember, the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Booths. Uh, in Hebrew, it's the, the Sukkot, right? Where they make these outdoor little pavilions and they, they, they remember God's faithfulness in the wilderness. He's just coming off of that. And in chapter 7, verse 37, he declares that, hey, the, the water that you guys are sim- symbolically pouring over this altar, that water, that's me. Then later on, he stands up and the lights that you guys celebrate in chapter 8, he said, those lights, that's me. And he, and he, on and on and on, he goes saying, everything that you're celebrating here, this faithfulness that you're celebrating, that's me. Uh, I am the definition of the faithfulness of God. I am the fruition of God's promise to restore and to regenerate his people. I am the fruition of that. He has an encounter with a bunch of scribes and Pharisees, the, the onset of chapter 8 with this adulterous woman. They bring him, bring her before him. They try to catch Jesus. Jesus demonstrates his genius in that moment. And then he does something amazing. He forgives this woman of her sins. Definitely heresy, blasphemy in the Pharisees' eyes because only God can do that. But Jesus continues to use the language, I am. I am, I am, I am. And that's, this, is, this, this is a powerful statement that Jesus is making because the only person that has ever really made this statement was God himself. What the, what the Pharisees didn't realize what they were, is that they were talking to the incarnation of God. And so every time Jesus would utter the words, ego, EMI, ego, EMI, he's saying, I am. I am God. I and the Father am one. I am. Later on next week, as you'll hear, they, they come at Jesus saying, like, are you better than Abraham? And Jesus makes the best statement of all time. He's like, before, before Abraham, ego, EMI. In other words, before Abraham, I existed. And so at the end of this chapter, what you're going to see is the Pharisees picking up stones to actually try and kill Jesus. Why? Because he's consistently revealing the fact, and don't miss this now, consistently revealing the fact that he is God. That he is God. Don't miss that now. I think that will be a strong point to write down. Jesus is consistently revealing in very tangible, practical, theological, and literal ways to people that he is God. He's constantly talking about his father. He's constantly talking about his mission. He's constantly talking even though they don't understand it. He's foreshadowing the fact that he is going to die and rise again for the forgiveness and the sins in the world. And that unless you believe in him, that he is he, that he is the I am, he says you are going to die in your sins. So that's the context of where we're picking up today. And at John 8, verse 31, Jesus makes this very strong statement where he says this, If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, rather, you are truly my disciples. Now, you have to understand the Greek word here, abide, is the word meno. And I think it's really interesting because this word meno or, or meno, it, it literally means, it's kind of like a bumper sticker. It's like keep on keeping on. That's literally what it means. Keep on keeping on. And, and maybe, uh, I don't know if you're in Kentucky, you might say something like keep on trucking. You know what I mean? That's a bumper sticker you might see. I think my wife has that one. Keep on trucking. Keep on keeping on. Another translation of it is, is survive is to survive unchanged. And so Jesus says, if you survive unchanged in my word, you are my disciples. Now, what is Jesus saying here? It's this beautiful picture of just keep going. 
Just keep going. Is the demand of the Christian perfection? Of course it is. Of course it is. The, the, the goal is to become more and more like Jesus. If you, if you don't know this terminology, there's a beautiful theological word called sanctification. Sanctification, if you don't know what that means, it, it, it's different than salvation. Uh, salvation is the understanding that we accept Christ. I am saved. I will be saved tomorrow. And ultimately in heaven one day I will be saved. Amen? Amen. Justification is also a big strong word, a good word. Justification means that I am in right standing before God. So his justice has been executed on the cross through Jesus Christ. And because of the death, burial, and resurrection, I now stand rightly before God. You guys with me on that? That's justification. So I am justified, and I am forever justified because of what Christ did. Sanctification is a little different. Sanctification is very different, whereas salvation is, is more monergistic and, and, and justification is monergistic in, in meaning that God does the work, okay? God singularly does the work in terms of salvation, in terms of justification. Just hang, hang tight with me. I know we're in college right now. But, but when we talk about sanctification, we're not talking about a, a, a monergistic movement. We're talking about a synergistic movement. That means we get to engage in the act of becoming more like Jesus. It is an act where God meets man. Or rather, better stated, it is an act where man meets God. We get to control how much we become like Jesus. Now, for some of us, we would be like, Great, finally some control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to become like Jesus. I've tried this before. I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's kind of hard. It's just, it's just kind of hard. To walk every single day sinless, to walk every single day in right standing in, in terms of my thoughts and my, and my heart and my, my emotions, it's a difficult thing. So the question is, is it expected of a follower to become like Jesus, yes. However, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus Christ, being the incarnation, God and human, this hypostatic union, perfectly man and God, understands that we are awful. <laughs> that we fall. That we fail. And so he uses this word strategically, by the way, I believe the word abide is used some 34, 37 times in the New Testament by Jesus. 31 of those times is used by Jesus in the book of John. This idea of abide, meno, means keep on. We see this from Paul over and over in scripture. Fight the good fight. Run the race. Don't stop. And I want to encourage us as a community today Man, I know times are hard. I know difficult times. Well, all that. I get that. Don't stop. Like, don't stop. Don't stop, stop in your walk with Christ. Don't be discouraged in the things that are taking place in the world. But be encouraged. And Jesus says this. How are we to be encouraged? He says this. If you abide in my word, you will know that you're my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, that passage right there, it's a very famous passage. The truth will set you free. I've heard it in speeches. I've, I've, I've seen it in movies. I've heard it in podcasts. I've, I've heard it in secular universities posted on their 
on the front of their, their emblems. The truth will set you free. And it's interesting because Jesus is not just talking about any run-of-the-mill truth. And this is very important for us, so please tune into this. Jesus is not just talking about any average truth. Now, I'm not trying to say that truth is just average. What I am trying to do is elevate what Jesus is saying here. The truth will set you free. What is the truth of what he's speaking? Well, look at this. He says this. The truth will set you free. They answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? I love what he says here. Watch this. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, rabbinical authoritative language here. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now, here's what you got to understand. These individuals, these Pharisees, this is a very arrogant statement, arrogant claim that they're making here. They're like, hey, we're not slaves, which, by the way, is laughable, laughable because the Jewish people uh, have always been slaves. They've just, their history is one of slavery from Egypt to the Assyrians to the Moabites to on and on and on. Millions of them executed in slavery. Millions of them executed in slavery throughout Scripture. I mean, so much so that they, when they're transported from one country to another, they would put hooks in their mouths and lead them by the millions through deserts just to, just to move a new generation of slaves. And even as these Pharisees are speaking, they're speaking as slaves. They're controlled by Rome. They are not free individuals. They are missing what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is talking up here. They're trying to speak down here. Jesus just ignores this statement, by the way. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus is laying it out here, and you're going to, he's really laying it out. We're about to get into that in a second, what he's saying when he talks about their father. But what Jesus is in essence saying here is that the only type of freedom that can be had, true freedom now, is the freedom found in abiding in God's word. Amen. The only type of freedom that can be found. And they try to go low. They're like, well, we're not slaves. And Jesus is like, yeah, you are. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. Now, Paul echoes this in, in the book of Romans. Jump over to Romans chapter 6 if you could. Let's go over to Romans here. If you have your Bibles, I know we don't carry those anymore. But if you had one, you could pull it up here. Romans chapter 6. Look at what Paul says about slavery. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. Look at your neighbor and say death. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. Hmm, that's interesting. And its end is eternal life. And then he goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. See, we don't like to talk about slavery. We don't like to think that we're slaves. We like to think, hey, I came to Jesus and now I'm free. No, no, you are but you're still a slave. <laughs> we move from slavery to slavery. And what Romans is saying, what Paul is saying to the, to the church in Rome is the same thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're a slave, but you don't realize it. And the slavery that you're under now is going to lead you to death. 
But I will set you free to be under a better slave master, which is God the Father. Because slavery under God the Father, the fruit of that will have you becoming free in a way that leads to eternal life. And I don't think that we truly embrace the fact that God is our owner. I know this is touchy. I know it's touchy. But you have to understand that if we do not have a correct view of God as our owner, then God is just our buddy who suggests things. You need to understand that God is not a friend who suggests things. Is God a friend? Of course. Of course, he's a friend. Uh, it talks about this throughout, script, throughout, throughout Scripture. But God is more than a friend. He is an owner. This word that is used in Scripture over and over, Adonai, it means, it means master. In the way that a slave would look at somebody and say, you're my master. You're my Adonai. You are my, we interpret it as Lord. You're my Lord. Jesus tells the Pharisees, like, hey, like, the slave owners that you have, the slave owners that you're under, they're not good owners. They're going to kick you out of the house. My father is a good, good Lord. He's a good Adonai. And he will never kick you out of the house. He will never leave you out tongue hung up to dry. He will continually be with you. And so he continues to lay out this fact that, that he is God that God the Father has equipped him, and that we must die to ourselves, and we will find freedom in him. Back to where we started this truth. i got to ask you a question here today. Uh, we're not done, don't worry. Some of you are like, are we done? Others of you are like, are we done? Like, I understand. we got a mixed crowd. How do we find freedom? In, in Jesus' teachings, my question, how do we find said freedom. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I, I accepted Christ at a young age, and, and I, I still very much validate that experience. I know that some people are like, well, little kids can't meet Jesus at a young age. I completely come up against that 100%. I, I believe that I had a real experience with Jesus Christ at a very young age. But I'll tell you something that happened to me. I, I did wrestle when I was a, a young boy with whether or not I, maybe some of you can identify with this, with whether or not I meant that prayer enough. Anybody feel me on that? Like, I, I remember saying, like, man, I, do I really know Jesus? Did I really mean that enough? Do I really believe in him enough? And I used to wrestle with that at times until I, I grew in my faith. And one of the ways that I grew in my faith was that I spent time in the word. When Jesus says, the truth will set you free, he's speaking, abide in me, in my words. What words? The word there is logos. Jesus, are you guys still with me today? Yes? Okay. This is fascinating. The word that Jesus is referring to, which will set you free, is scripture. Now think about this. What is Jesus saying in this moment? He's doing two things. Number one, he's talking about something that doesn't exist yet. Jesus is not just talking about his own words, but he's talking about the written word. He's talking uh, in advance about something he knows that is to come. He's talking about scripture. He knows that what he is saying is being written down, the logos, for us. And he said the truth found in the logos, the truth found in the Bible, the truth found in scripture is what is going to set you free. Not only that, but if you abide, keep on keeping on in scripture survive unchanged by the world through scripture, it will prove that you're one of my disciples. 
Here's a question for you. Practically speaking, do you read, this is going to be as basic as it can get, do you read the Bible? And I'm not just talking about like, well, yeah, I got the U version. It pops up with my daily verse, and I go on about my business. That's not reading the Bible. That's not, that's not reading the Bible at all. That's, that's like going to House of Japan and, and, and ordering one piece of rice and saying, I've eaten at House of Japan. No, you haven't. Not at all. You've been in the same room. You've smelled the atmosphere, but you've never dug in. Can I challenge you? As a follower of Jesus Christ... This is a little tough. You should be consuming God's word on a daily basis. And I'm not saying I need to read a verse here. Man, I really need to jump in. It's been a minute. You should be consuming. You should be inhaling. You should be ingesting large chunks and quantities of God's word. Now, I'm not trying to get legalistic on you. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to tell you that it is what will set you free. We have no problem reading large chunks of encouraging books that talk about our mindset and our attitude. And listen, that's all well and good. None of that will set you free. It might help set you free financially. It might help set you free to a degree with your wife or maybe your business. But what does money and business have to do with eternity? Man, we need to be set free eternally. And the way to do that, one of the marks of a believer, is that you spend time ingesting God's word. You know what happens after that takes place? We become what we eat. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Yeah, it, it's one of the biggest challenges for some of us. You become what you eat. You're like, you kind of look like a donut. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. And so we want to put in good things. Why? Because it actually shapes and changes who we become. Amen. What goes in our eyes, what goes in our ears, goes and in, internalizes inside of our hearts. Amen. And it becomes what we, what we shoot out. I, I remember hearing a pastor talk about this. He said, you know, if I filled up a cup with 7-Up and, and it was up to the top and I bumped into you, what would spill out? You know, and he said, well, soda would spill out. And he's like, yeah, because when you're frustrated, when you're angered, when you're bumped, Whatever's in that cup is going to pour out. I wonder, how telling is that of us when we're driving on 71? <laughs> what comes out the cup when you're just passing the Stringtown Road exit trying to get up into Westerville? What's coming out that cup? Not a lot of good stuff, if I'm being honest. Not a lot of, it ain't 7-Up, I can tell you that much, right? Why? How about in the conversations when things get heated with your wife? How about in the conversations when you're, when your kids aren't treating you uh, necessary like it's, a, like it's a happy Father's Day. <laughs> like, what comes out? And I'll tell you this, what comes out in those moments reveals what's inside. Listen to me now. What comes out in those moments reveals what's truly inside. Christian, you should be reading massive amounts of Scripture. Well, how much? I don't know. How much time you got? How much time you got? How much of an encounter with the risen Savior do you want? That's like asking, that's, that's like asking, you know, when you go to Cedar Point, and you're like, well, uh, how many rides can I ride? I don't know. How long can you stand in line? Like, how quickly can we get through the line? Literally, I want to ride them all. I want as much Jesus as possible. I want as much life change as possible. If that is the case, open up the word and start reading. Amen. Start meditating, ingesting. Because listen to me, church, that is where freedom is found. 
Yes, we are free by encountering the risen Savior, but it's like we become more free in this process of becoming like him when we find him in the scripture. And they don't get this. They don't get this. They, they just, they don't. They're, they're angry at him. They're mad at him. They talk about, we're not slaves. Jesus is like, yeah, you are. It's interesting. Look at this in verse, let's go to verse 38. He says, and I speak of what I've seen and my father, and, and you do what you have heard from your father. Who's his fa- who is the father they're talk- he's talking about? Well, we're going to find out in just a second, and they're not going to be excited about it. I can tell you that for sure. Look at what he says. He goes on to say this in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Abraham received people in God's name. Abraham received truth uh, from people that God sent to him. He received them with gladness. And scripture says that God credited righteousness to Abraham because of how he dealt with people. So Jesus is saying, listen, you're saying you're Abraham's kids, that Abraham is your forefather. You're not acting like your dad very much. Because he received people. You're not receiving me. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth. That I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing, and here's Jesus laying it down again. He's laying it down again. Watch this now. You're doing what your father did. They don't bite on it. They don't don't take the hook here. They just keep pushing. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Which seems to be like a red herring in the conversation. Like Jesus like, hey, if you, were, if you knew me, if you knew God, you'd know me. If you were Abraham's children, you'd be acting, dif- acting different. And then it seems to us like they throw out a red herring. Like, well, we weren't born out of wedlock, so take that. <laughs> Ser- seriously, like, oh, that's a good one, man. Yeah, I, yeah, great. You have to understand what they're referencing here. They're referencing the fact that they saw Jesus as, as a bastard. They saw Jesus as one who was born out of wedlock. See, even today in the Talmud, which is, which is basically a writing on how Jewish men and women are to live, they completely disrespect Jesus Christ. You have to understand this. They believed that Jesus was born out of wedlock, not God, moved to, moved to Egypt, learned the magical arts, I promise you, came back and exercised witchcraft and demonology over people. And so when they said, like, well, we're not born, what they were saying is, you're born out of sexual immorality. Who are you? Like, who are you? I know who my dad is. You don't even know your dad. Your mother is a, and they go on and on and on and on. This is the language that they were throwing at Jesus. And then I love how Jesus, who has been prepping this conversation, he lays it down. Watch this. Jesus said to them, well, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Anybody ever felt that way? You're talking to somebody and you're like, I'm literally telling you. Why do you not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth right now? Like, how are you not getting this? And then Jesus goes on this rant. And I want you to hear this. Listen to this now. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father. Now he's going to name him. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, you can't stand to hear the truth 
because in your heart, you are a liar. You can't bear to hear my words because the truth actually pushes you away. You are of your father, the devil. I don't know that Jesus can get any more strong. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me? Which one of you convicts me of sin? I think of what he just said. Any of you convict me of sin? No. Why are you being convicted? Because you're the ones in sin. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Practical application, because we have to wrap up here. Practical application for us today. I have a question for you. It's the same question I asked before. Where are you getting your truth? I know that we live in kind of a strange time where truth is maybe up for sale to the highest bidder. You know? Whoever has the most money might be able to tell the best truth. So many things have been called into question. What is truth? Where is truth? Is this truth? What's happening with truth? I want you to know this morning... Christian man, Christian woman, not only can we know truth, but you must know truth. Not only can we know truth, but you must know truth. We must know truth because when we know that truth, the truth will set us free. Free from what? That's a good question. Free from what? It's an ongoing freeing of truth. So it's not just talking about free of of, of sin. Although it is talking about that, it's talking about something greater. And I want you to know that the freedom that Jesus is offering here is a freedom that continues on into our sanctification. You all feel what I'm saying? It's kind of like this. Just a couple verses back, Jesus talked about the fact that we were from here and he was from there. Remember that? It sounded a little Dr. Seuss-ish, right? You're from here, I'm from there. I don't know, it's going to make a rhyme, but we're not going to do it. Jesus in this moment is talking about freedom from the matrix of this world. Freedom from the the system of oppression and death in this world. I understand that you are frustrated. I understand that right now many of you are fearful. I understand that there are questions politically with our government, with our safety, with our health, with with our mental health. I get that. But don't you know that you have been set free? Come on, I wanna encourage you this morning. Lots of us, y'all be living like we're not free. You're free. You're free from this system. I know you're caught up in it, but you're better than it. You're greater than it. Better is he, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the what? The world in reference to not the physical location, but the state of the world, the sin of the world, the broken matrix in which we give our lives over to. Stop living in this world. Stop being fearful of this world. Stop being fearful. God gives you the truth. As for so many of us, we're trying to find the truth over here from that news agency or from that politician. They don't have the truth you need. The truth you need is right here. The truth you need is right here. And the more you read, the more you ingest, 
The more time you meditate, the more time you think, the more time you study, the more your heart will change, the more your life will change, the more your community will change, the more your marriage will change, the more your children will change. Listen to me, dads. Happy Father's Day. The greatest thing you could do as a dad is to spend time in Scripture with your family. The greatest thing you can hand down is not a bank account, it's not a house, it's not a car. It's the understanding to your sons and to your daughters that if you want to be free from this oppressive world, you need to be in Scripture. And God will set you free. Listen to me. God will set you free. He will set you free. Come on, church. He will set you free. So at the end of the day, what's the application? I mean, it really is this simple. Three words. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Man, I feel like this is like going back to fourth grade. Yeah, we had it right back then. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Get to know your God. It'll set you free. Stop living in this world like you're a part of it. You're not a part of this world anymore. My grandma, I love her to death. Man, she cannot knit to save her life. What if she hears this? She doesn't own a computer. We're good. Her technology stopped in the 70s, so we're good. My grandma knit me a sweater in seventh grade for Christmas. And on one of the most painful Christmas Eves, my dad made me wear that sweater to our church service. It was big in all the wrong areas, small in all the other ones, if you get what I'm saying. And uh, man, it itched. It was itchy. It was so itchy. And they didn't have Under Armour back then. You know, you just, you're just putting this thing on over your skin. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember sitting through service just, man, just waiting for Santa to show up so I could get this thing off. It's just killing me. That's how I feel so often in this world. Does that make sense? It just doesn't fit. It just itches hurts. I can't wait to get it off. I can't wait to exchange it for something better, something more comfortable. You know why you feel that way? Because, brother, you weren't designed for this world. You weren't designed to be here. You weren't designed to live in sin. You weren't designed to live in fear. You weren't designed to live with anxiety. You weren't designed. You have a greater purpose. You have a, you have a greater thing inside of you, which is Christ. And the longer you stay away from this book, the less you'll realize that. The more you get in this book, you'll begin to realize just how uncomfortable you are. And so I want you to suffer through that uncomfortability. I want you to realize that you're not from here because that realization that you're not from here is what will empower you, Jesus says, set you free from the fear, from the hurt, from the pain, from the slavery of this world. Am I preaching to you this morning? Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I say this because I love you. I say this because I love you. But I also say this because I want to kick your butt into motion. Half the time that we get together and I counsel you, the answer is, read your Bible. Half the time you ask your small group leader, what should I do? The answer is, read your Bible. Listen, book me for counseling. That's fine. Go to your small group leader. That's good. We're here to shepherd you and to love you along the way. But maybe consider just reading Scripture for a week every day and see if God doesn't begin to change and shape your life. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. We're just going to close this morning. 
I'm going to invite you to make a commitment today as a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you are here, whether you are online, wherever you are under the sound of my voice this morning, I'm going to invite you to make a commitment. It's a commitment of action. And I'm going to go first here because I want to speak some truth. The world speaks so much death into us, and we just readily eat it. But I want you to know this. Listen to me. Eyes closed, heads bowed, nobody looking around. I just want to speak into your heart today. You are better than how you're living. You are better than living in fear. Travis, you don't know me. I don't have to know you. The God of the universe knows you. He loves you. Even while you were yet a sinner, he demonstrated that love for you by sending Jesus. It's him that calls you. It's him that says there's greatness there, not me. So right now, I want us as a church to declare that we will not rest until we begin this process of being set free in our everyday life. For those of us who, who call ourselves sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, this week, today, I want you to begin training for the marathon that is life. You've been walking, you've been on the sidelines, not knowing that God has given you everything you need to accomplish everything he's called you to, up to and including overcoming this world. Stop walking in fear, Stop walking in in hurt. Stop walking in anxiety. Stop allowing this life to inform you of who you are. Be informed by the God who loves you through his word. Be informed by that. And even if there is no one around you encouraging you, even if there is no one around you building you up, the God who created all, knows all, is all, says you have worth. You're worth it. You have great worth. You have great worth, young lady. You have great worth, young man. You have great worth. You've been through a divorce. You messed up. You still have great worth. You've been to jail. You're addicted. You have great worth. It's a worth based on God, not on you. Eyes closed, heads bowed right now. I'm not going to give you the words, but I want you to talk with your maker. Commit yourself to ingesting his word this week. Not a verse here. Not a verse there passages of scripture and I promise you listen to me I promise you he will meet you there he will meet you there take a moment right where you sit right now commit yourself to getting free from the matrix of the system right now by spending time in the word and allowing that truth to remind you of who you are in Christ right now commit ourselves, Lord, to the reading, to the memorization, to the living out of your word. Because if we keep on keeping on in it, if we continue to survive through it, if we, if we spend time in it, you will set us free indeed. The truth of it will set us free. Give us a, a passion, Lord. Give us a desire, Lord, to read your word and meet us there. Change us inside out. In Jesus' holy name, we all pray. And we all said, amen, amen.